Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning and welcome to Message Mornings on this Friday morning. Coming to you live from here at HQ, Message Trust uh, HQ in Manchester. Uh, we're so delighted that you're joining us, whether you're joining us live here on Friday morning or whatever time zone you might be watching uh, from, or whether you're doing a little catch-up TV somewhere over the weekend or something. And well, we're very happy to see you. And hopefully uh, what you're going to hear today is going to be super encouraging and helpful, particularly in these strange days that we live in as I journey into the second part of my four-part series on Jonah. And where we find ourselves in the story today is Jonah has been swallowed by a fish. As you do, these things happen. And I'm actually fascinated by survival stories uh, in general. I think partly because I'm not the biggest adventurer in the world. I like to think of myself as an adventurer, but I think generally speaking, my idea of adventure is checking out a new Netflix program without you know, looking at the IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes score first, or maybe when they ask you at Costa or Starbucks whether you want the new blend, <laughs> maybe I'll try it. You know, that's adventure for me. But there are people that head into the world and they go crazy. They climb mountains and they jump into volcanoes, uh, which seems like a very silly idea, but they do these things. And then most of the time they, you know, emerge as, as heroic adventurers, but occasionally they emerge with a story of incredible survival. I think of people like Aaron Ralston, and his story that's told in the book and the movie, 127 Hours. He went mountain biking and, and climbing and, uh, and ended up getting himself lodged in between some rocks, got his arms stuck in a, in a, in a cavern and uh, couldn't move and was completely stuck. And uh, I know it's very early in the morning. If you're eating your breakfast right now, I apologize. But he had to cut his own arm off. Uh, and you're watching these things and you think to yourself, what would I do in this situation? And the answer is die. That's, that's what I would do. I would die immediately. Uh, there is no way I'm cutting my arm off. But some people have the will to keep going, to survive, to endure, to persevere. Um, it's a, a very interesting movie, actually. And, and and the, the things that he goes through as he is contemplating, you know, what, what he has to do and the dreams and the hallucinations from the lack of water. And of course, also related to near-death experiences as well, which I'm quite fascinated by. The chemical processes that happen in someone's brain seem to, to contribute in some way to these near-death experiences where people seem to see all sorts of crazy stuff. But again, if we believe in the spiritual world, of course, we would be foolish to rule out that there isn't also potentially a more meaningful spiritual dynamic, a genuine encounter as people are caught between death and life. Look, science can't exactly tell us what's going on. The Bible doesn't have a huge amount to say about what might be happening in a near-death experience, but it does tell us what happens on the other side of, uh, of this coil when I shuffle off this mortal coil and head into the next. So maybe there is sometimes a, uh, a convergence of the two worlds in a near-death experience. Either way, survival stories, near-death experiences, fascinating because it actually, I think, shows us something of humanity. It shows us something of this precious thing we call life. Jose Salvador Alvarenga was a Salvadorian fisherman who went hunting sharks in a little boat with his mate. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if you head out into the waters to hunt sharks, 
If something bad happens, I'm not going to give you a lot of sympathy. You've basically got yourself to it. The only reason why you go hunting sharks is because Quint's in your ear about getting rid of uh, Jaws. You know, that's it. There's no other reason that you go out hunting sharks. But he went out there with his buddy, and uh, after a series of very unfortunate events, mainly uh, storm-related, he ended up being alone on his raft. Very sadly, his friend uh, died tragically, but he ended up alone on his raft and floated in the ocean for 13 months. 13 months floating in the ocean. They estimate that he covered a distance of about 6,000 miles, just bobbing around. Nobody knew where he was, completely on his own, just trying to grab fish out. Um, I don't even know exactly how he managed to source his water, but he, but he figured it out somehow. And he survived for 13 months uh, and is the first person in recorded history to have survived in a small boat at sea for more than a year. That is literally like my worst nightmare. 13 minutes alone at sea. I'd be done. But this guy managed 13 months. Incredible survival. Well, the Bible gives us an incredible story of survival, but it's not a story of endurance, of somebody just keeping themselves going. Actually, it's a story of somebody when death is certain, crying out to God for deliverance and finding that deliverance, although perhaps not in quite the way they might have wanted. Jonah finds himself thrown overboard. That's where we got up to at the end of our uh, story last time, after at the end of chapter one. Death threatens to swallow him, but where he was previously unwilling to repent whilst he was in the boat. Remember that? The, the sailors come to him and they're like, what have you done? And he's like, well, I'm running away from God, basically. And, and he doesn't think to repent. He's like, no, I don't want to actually turn back to God. I just I want to keep running away. And so they throw him overboard because it's the only way to calm the storm. And he finds himself now sinking into this, the deeps. And the storm itself, which was God's way of getting... Jonah's attention didn't achieve its task, but now as Jonah sinks into the deep, as seaweed wraps around his head, he suddenly comes to his senses and cries out to the Lord, who saves him from drowning, as you do, by having him swallowed by a big fish. Chapter 117, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, into chapter two. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, now, listen to this very carefully, because I think sometimes we think that Jonah's prayer for restoration and salvation comes when he's already in the fish. But Jonah's praying in the fish, recounting back a prayer that he prayed while he was sinking into the depths of the sea. And it was that prayer while he was sinking that saw the fish come as his deliverance. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Think about those words. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Some people think that Jonah is dead in this particular experience. They think that Jonah has actually died and that in the fish he's, he's in a death state or having you know, an extended near-death experience for three days and three nights. But uh, as I read the text, that doesn't seem to be plausible or possible. His uh, prayer that we're reading here, this song that we're reading in chapter 2, is, is coming out of him in the belly of the fish. So this is not a man who is, who is dead. This is a man who is alive in the fish and now singing a song, bizarrely, to God. Is Jonah dead? No. But he is in the place where death absolutely always wins, unless God steps in. You hurled me into the depths. And the word depths here is evocative of Pharaoh and his chariots in Exodus being thrown into the depths as the Red Sea came back over them. This is very vivid imagery for those who would have read it originally and connected those two ideas. 
uh, absolute catastrophe, absolute crushing, uh, rebellion against God, it only leads to the depths covering you and you sinking down. Death is, is the only outcome. Into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. This is interesting, isn't it? Because Jonah's reflecting it, saying, I have been banished from your sight, Lord. And yet, is that what's really going on in the story of Jonah? As we read the first chapter and reflect upon what we looked at last time, is there really a sense in which Jonah has been banished from the Lord? Or has Jonah banished himself? God is not in the narrative saying, Jonah, away from me, depart, you're detestable to me, you're banished. No, it's Jonah that is ignoring the call of God and turning his back and constantly running away and saying, nope, don't need it, God, I'm going to banish myself from you. God hasn't banished Jonah in the narrative, he's banished himself. He could have turned back to God at any moment, at any moment. He could have turned back and said, God, I repent, I'm going to come back into your will and your uh, into obedience. He could have turned back at any point until now. Now is the crunch point. Now is the point of no return. As he sinks into the deep, he is now powerless to save himself. At any point before, he could have turned around. Sailors, we need to start rowing the other way. We've got to go back. I've been disobedient to God, but no. Now he's thrown overboard. He's sinking. The seaweed's wrapping his head. It is catastrophe. All is lost. There is now no turning back. Yet I will look again, he says, toward your holy temple. Finally, it seems as if Jonah is ready to repent, to turn back. Leaving it a little bit late, buddy. You're sinking down and the seaweed's wrapping your head and you're about to be entombed, encaged into the sandy deeps of the bottom of the ocean. And now is the moment that you're going to turn back to God when you can't do anything. You can't actually physically make a change yourself. You are completely at the mercy of God. If God turns his face away from you, if God says, no, you waited too long, no, no chance. There is now nothing you can do to turn around and face me. It's all me that has to do it. And I'm not into that. God looking at Jonah and saying, nope. I was up for saving you while you could still play a part in it. That you, that you could physically move your feet and walk back in my direction. I'd have been up for saving you. But now it's all on me. I'm not interested, Jonah. You've blown it. It's too late. Jonah's repentance surely has come too late. And yet we see something different happen. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The deep word here can be translated more uh, directly as chaos. The chaos surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. The Hebrew word barred here can literally mean, as it does in English, the bars of a cell, a prison cell. But it also means the bars of a sandy shore. It has this beautiful double meaning. As he hits the bottom of the sea, so he is imprisoned by it. I mean, just reading this passage is giving me heart palpitations. It's so vivid. The idea of it crushed in without any hope of salvation, without any hope whatsoever. This is it. You are done for. What a horrid situation. And yet, how does it climax here at the end of verse 6? But you, Lord my God, bought my life up from the pit. You see, God doesn't look at Jonah and say, no, you waited too long. It's too late. Failure is never final with God while there is still breath in our lungs that we can say, God, I'm sorry. I need to turn back to you. Or we can still cry out to the Lord and say, God, I need 
your help. I've, I've gone wrong. I've made a mistake. I've entombed myself. I've imprisoned myself. I've, I've allowed the, the chaos of this world to get on top of me and drown you out. I've looked to anything else other than you. But now I want to turn back to your holy temple. I want to look in your direction. I want to look to where you dwell and ask you to come and dwell in me. Well, what does it mean that God brought up Jonah's life from the pit? It means he got swallowed by a fish, which doesn't really sound like much of an improvement. Have you ever experienced a precarious situation from which you managed to get out of only to find yourself in another precarious situation? I know a friend who uh, had a, a car accident and they, uh, they were actually kind of okay, They're a little bit bruised and battered, but they got out to check. It was in the snow. They got out to check if, if you know, the car was okay as, and they got out. But then as they did that, another car skidded on the same patch of ice that they did and ended up actually hitting them and causing them massive damage. They fortunately made a, a full recovery, but got more serious injuries in the second incidence than the first one. They must have, imagine getting out of that car and being a bit shaken, but thinking to yourself, whew, wow, I slipped on the ice, I got away with one there, only then to see another car sliding towards you, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Jonah escapes death in the sea, but he is not rescued by boat or anachronistically a helicopter or some magical device that the Lord sends. Hey, I'm sure he would have even settled for a, for a plank of wood or something or, or an octopus that he could have sat on top of or anything. But instead, he gets a fish. He's like, thanks very much, God. I was drowning and I called to you. And whilst I appreciate the rescue, a boat would have been great. Anything would have been great, in fact. I don't know what imagery comes to your minds when you think about Jonah in the fish, but when I was a kid, you might have had the same kind of Bible that I did with images, pictures in it, story Bible, and uh, there was always a picture of the Jonah story with a side-on view of the fish after he'd been swallowed, and then a little light or a little hollowed-out section showing into the belly of the fish. Did you, have, did you have this as well? And inside, you would see Jonah, and for some reason in my picture book, Jonah had a little table and a chair that he was sat on, and, uh, and a little candle. He always had a candle for some reason in this as well that was kind of illuminating the inside of the fish uh, belly. And there he was, you know, it wasn't the nicest environment, but he was, he was, you know, just basically sat there having afternoon tea or something, waiting his time out in the fish. This is nonsense. I think if we made a children's Bible today with fresh imagery, you probably have a PS5 and access to Netflix and all sorts of fun in there. We're missing the point. It's gross. It's disgusting. He's been swallowed by a fish, which means that he is now surrounded by guts and stomach acid and the other food that's rotting in the fish's belly. It's disgusting, horrible, uncomfortable, life-threatening. We soften the image at our peril as we miss something very important in the hope of Jonah's response to God when we soften it down. We might expect lament from Jonah's lips, but what we actually get while he's still surrounded by fish guts, surrounded by all of the horrible stuff that he was, smudging against his face, irritating his skin, stinking up his nose, probably choking for breath, finding it hard, still with his life seemingly in some kind of danger, he prays this or sings this. Verse seven, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Now, I might stop there and think, yeah, I'm not surprised you remembered that because you're in the 
depths of the ocean. You've got a little bit of time on your hands. After you stop panicking that you're immediately going to die, you start thinking, is there any solution here? Bingo, uh, Yahweh is going to come to my rescue if I ask him. Yeah, I'll remember God and then I should be okay. No, it's not kind of like a, a simple remembrance of, of, of prompting from the back of your mind to the front of your mind. This remembrance is the same kind of remembrance that, that, that Israel is asked to live out in. Israel is asked to live out in a constant remembrance of God. It's actually what's rooted in the command that we are asked to obey above all others, to love the Lord your God with everything you have. That means to remember him, to keep him at the forefront of everything you are, everything you experience, everything you worship. It is not simply to bring him to mind. It is that he would be at the center of who you are. Put him first. When my life was ebbing away, I suddenly realized I need to put Jesus first. How does that resonate with you today? As life might feel like it's ebbing away, opportunities are ebbing away, financial circumstances are ebbing away, relationships are ebbing away, whatever it might be, have you remembered that above it all, it is Jesus who is to be the center? Not just bringing him from the back of your mind to the front of your mind, but bringing him from the back of your life to the center and total reality of your life. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, he goes on to say. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And when you turn away from God's love, what do you have? Only despair. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Or we could put it another way, salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you notice here how a change has come for Jonah? Jonah's original problem was he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't think the people of Nineveh were deserving of God's healing and redemption and salvation. He didn't think that they deserved that. And he knew that if he went, that that's probably what would happen. And he was like, no, God, I, I have a better view of salvation than you do. Thank you very much. Oh, how often do we tell God that we know better than he does? And how often does it yield the same result? Chaos and death. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. But now he has come around to a new way of thinking thinking that salvation doesn't belong to Jonah. Salvation belongs to God, and God can do whatever he deems fit with salvation. God can extend salvation to the most unworthy people. And guess what? That's good news for you and me, because we are those very same people. His perspective is realigned with the truth of God. Now, sadly, we're going to see in time as we go through this series that this is a temporary change of heart for Jonah because as people, we can be very frail, very flip-floppy, and as circumstances change, so we can allow our perspective of today to revert back to a perspective of yesterday. Jonah has had his perspective reset by these bizarre but life-transforming circumstances. And I want to ask you this question today. How has God reset your perspective in this season? What changes come 
in COVID? How have you been realigned? At, at Message, we, we've always had a heart for, for the, the poor. Uh, we've always had a heart to, to reach out to communities. That's where so much of the ministry has come from over the 30 years. Of course, the spiritually poor, which is anybody that doesn't know Jesus, but the materially poor as well. Those that have such a hard time in this life with seemingly a leg up or a helping hand to help them get through. And of course, what we want to do is, is bring a practical helping hand that can, can physically take care of need. But as we physically take care of that need, we can meet with what's most important, which is having warmed the heart we can then soften the heart with the truth of the gospel and turn dead hearts into living hearts. And so our perspective didn't necessarily need shifting in terms of the concept, but our perspective has shifted in this time in some of the practice. We've doubled down on our efforts through community grocers uh, to, to meet directly the needs of the poor. And it's remarkable that in these community grocers now being launched across Manchester and beyond into the northeast and around the rest of the UK, we're not just seeing practical need being met. It has become one of the single most fruitful things for actually people hearing and receiving and being transformed by the message of the gospel that we have ever done as an organization. What would be folly? is if we get the other side of coronavirus in however many months' time, and then we go, oh, good, that's done now. Let's just go back to all the things we used to do. And our perspective shifts back to how it used to be. No, make sure that the perspective lessons that we learn today are carried forward for what God would have us do tomorrow. Don't waste this perspective reset by going backwards when on the other side of this season. Don't just react to the perspective you now have, reflect upon it. And finally, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's interesting that when God speaks to his creation through scripture, it always obeys. Have you noticed that? When God speaks to an animal or speaks to nature, it always obeys him. Nature understands perfectly who God is and nature knows how to worship God. It's us who are the treasured, the most treasured part of creation made in God's own image who think we know better and regularly disobey. That is why there is chaos instead of peace. That is why nature groans in anticipation of the Lord restoring it and setting it free from the bondage of decay as Paul talks about in Romans 8. We have wrought that bondage of decay upon it by our rebelliousness, not nature's own rebelliousness. Nature is obedient, unlike us. It knows how to obediently worship God. Even if we stop worshiping God and crying out his name in adoration, the rocks themselves would cry out in testimony to that very same truth. Remarkable. Fortunately, even though we are rebellious as a people, there is one man, one man, who even more so than nature itself, has always been and will always be obedient to the call of the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. Valentine's Day next week, and on Valentine's Day, people, I think, generally feel obliged to buy something for those people that they love. They feel obliged because the calendar date has landed, and if the calendar date lands, we're obliged to buy some flowers and some chocolates. Okay, fine, if that's your bag and that it helps you out in your romance and your relationships, cool, go for it. But the truth is, I don't think any of us really want to receive something out of obligation. 
We want to receive something out of love. And of course, the balance is like on any birthday or holiday where we, we buy it. It's a little bit of an obligation because the day has arrived, but it's, it's more out of a sense of joy of celebrating the person. This is just a convenient opportunity to do it. And yet, in some ways, it's even more wonderful when we receive a random act of love towards us, not because of a given day, but simply because the person loves us. Well, Jesus... Jesus is under no obligation whatsoever to step out of heaven and into our chaos, into the deep. He's not obliged to die for us. He chooses to out of his love for the Father and his love for us. It may have been out of the frying pan and into the fire or out of the deep and into the fish for Jonah, but it was out of the heavenly perfection and into the fire and the chaos for Jesus. And he did it willingly and by choice so that we could know peace, to be subject to the chaos and swallowed by death, just as Jonah seemingly was in the fish for three days. In the swirling death of the sea, Jonah's prayer rises to heaven. Forgive me. I'm turning around. Forgive me. And in his grace, God saves Jonah. But in the savage death of the cross, Jesus' prayer rises to heaven. Forgive them, Father. And in his grace, God saves the world. Jonah spends three days in a fish, what could have been his grave, but God had other plans. Learning afresh to worship God, Jonah finds joy even in the most difficult circumstances. But Jesus spends three days in a grave, making it possible afresh for us to worship God at all, that we can find joy, strength in him, even in the most difficult circumstances. The fish vomits up Jonah because a fish's belly is no place for a prophet for whom God has a mission. It can't contain him. But the grave vomits up Jesus because death is no place for the living God once the mission has been accomplished. It cannot contain him. There are two ways we need to be raised from the dead and they are revealed in the story of these two graves, the fishy grave and the eternal grave that Jesus has saved us from. One from which we can have hope of life over death because Jesus conquered that eternal grave. And one from which we can learn to press into joy even when our circumstances seem fishy. And I'm not sorry, that's a grade A pun. You're welcome. If you are spiritually dead, trust in Jesus and let him bring you to life. If you are circumstantially dead, Praise Jesus in the midst of it all and let joy be your strength. While still in the fish, Jonah is praising God for his rescue. Now, I'm not sure if I would have had the same reaction. I mean, I've walked past the smelly fish deli counter at Tesco and had the stench go up my nose and wanted to call down a curse from heaven on the people that let that stench get anywhere near my nose. And yet here is Jonah inside the belly of a fish with all of its rotting horribleness. And instead of moaning and lamenting and saying, God, why didn't you send me a plank of wood or something? He is worshipping. Don't let your present circumstances steal the joy of worshipping the Lord, for the miracle of salvation that he has brought to you. Don't miss being empowered by the joy that follows that worship. Jonah is alive when he should be dead. We are alive by Christ when we should be dead. These circumstances are only temporary. Jonah might be in the belly of a fish, but more so than that, he is in the grip of the Lord. 
We might be in the belly of COVID-19, but more so than that, we are in the grip of the Lord. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. My question to you this morning is this, in what situation do you need to speak these words today? What situation are you going through? And how, in what situation do you feel like you're in the belly of the fish and you can't quite figure out, you, you thought the Lord was rescuing you and you, you know the Lord has saved you and yet you still seem to be in the belly of the fish somehow. And I'm asking you, well, reflect on that and then think about speaking these words that Jonah spoke. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. You may be thinking, I've been saved from death by turning to Jesus but I'm still so far from safety in the situations that life surrounds me with. Yes, maybe, but you are in the grip of the Lord. Worship him. Don't wait to get out of the belly of the fish before you recognize first the miracle of salvation and let that joy be your strength in your present trouble. You might be in the belly of the fish circumstantially, but you are in the grip of the Lord eternally. Praise him today for the miracle of salvation. Trust that circumstances can change, that God is powerful enough to work in your life through it and that he is good eternally. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. There may be a fish belly. We may be right in the heart of it, but the grip of the Lord is eternal powerful, and it is good. Let's trust him afresh today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have rescued us. Help us to perceive the circumstances that we live in and not be disdainful. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to lament. It's okay to to question. But Lord, we don't want those things to rise to the forefront. We want you at the forefront. And because you're at the forefront, even though we find these things difficult and and are right to ask the question, what we want primarily to come is worship. What we want primarily to come is joy because it is joy that will strengthen us for the life ahead. A life that is circumstantially temporary, but eternally will be satisfying, fulfilling and wonderful because it will be for you, for your glory. And it is possible because your son was prepared to step into our chaos, to die on our behalf, and to show us what it means to be rescued from the grave and to know true joy forevermore. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Don't forget, we've got loads of great programming going on on Message Live right now. The Grief and Grace series just started yesterday. Do go and check that out, particularly share that with any who might be going through some of these things we've been talking about today, grieving, struggling, brokenhearted. Share this series with them. It will have a profound impact on them, I have no doubt. The new music show, Generation Rising, which just launched this week, really fun, really great show, looking at some of the music this time out that's come out of the message over the last... 30 years and some lists Andy Hawthorne has given his best five songs didn't pick one of mine but um, that's fine Andy Um, and uh, there's some great choices in there though to be fair I I probably shouldn't have been near the top 20 maybe even 50 but it is what it is and uh, and also uh, message today a fantastic show uh, show I think there's about 24 episodes of that if you've got young people at home kids at home cousins at home whatever it might be get them checking checking out message today current affairs What's really going on in the lives of young people featuring our bands, featuring great insight, great teaching, really engaging. I guarantee it will have a massive impact on them as they try to figure out following Jesus in this world. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care. 
don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 